Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Hello, Calvary, whether you are watching online or joining us in the room today, so honored that you are here. Rhonda and I are out of town today, but it is my great privilege to introduce to you our friend who's gonna be bringing God's word. Pastor Bill McGinnis served for over 30 years as Calvary's youth pastor and then executive pastor to many of you. He served not just as a shepherd, but as a friend. And Pastor Bill, I am truly honored that you have joined us today at Calvary to bring God's word. And so Calvary, I want to ask you to stand to your feet, put your hands together and give a great big Calvary welcome to Pastor Bill McGinnis as he comes to bring God's word today. We love you. The McGinnises, my family is not with me, and they're very jealous of me today. Uh, I've been here a few days, and I've been visiting some dear, dear people that have been a part of our lives for 35 years, and um, a dear friend allowed me to have his car. I won't tell him how many miles I've put on it already. <laughs> um, my wife texted me last night and she said, you better come home. <laughs> if you are new to Calvary since uh, I left three and a half years ago, I want you to know that you have made a good decision to be a part of this church. No church is perfect. You know why? Because they have people in it like me, <laughs> okay? But this is a good church. It's a good church because the leadership is strong. The ministries are bringing life change to people. There's a strong emphasis on God's word, on missions. Those are my passions. I want you to know that... Um, the last three and a half years, there have been many Sundays where I've gotten up to greet Abundant Life Worship Center where I pastor, and I've said, good morning, Calvary. <laughs> but that's easy to do because this will always be our home. It's one thing to um, f uh, receive God's word, um, and I knew, ex I, I, I knew that it was time, God, uh, to make that decision and follow God's will. It's another thing <laughs> to live it out day after day. So the line, and, and, I, and things are good, and this is my line, things are very good but very different. <laughs> um, and so the family's doing well. Um, I want to let you know that um, 
you knew a little bit about the church when, when I was transitioning. And um, small town, small church in southern eastern Arkansas. They eat different things down there. I don't know if you know that. Um, they fry everything, and what they don't fry, they put brown sugar on it in grease. I, I, you know, but, uh, but hey, it, it tastes good because I've been eating it. Um, but the church, the, the church is a good church, a strong church. However, when I came, um, they were not supporting missionaries. They had a strong um, local Feed My Sheep ministry, but missions just wasn't a part of their, of their um, uh, process, their passion. It is now. <laughs> um, grateful. They're, they're very, very faithful. And, and so as of, as of last month, Abundant Life in Dumas, Arkansas is supporting 25 missionaries on a monthly basis. Uh, yeah. Um, last, um, last year, they gave over $53,000 to missions. And then um, just a few weeks ago, uh, we wanted to do something for Ukraine like you all did. And um, without even twisting one arm, this little church in Dumas, Arkansas, gave over $10,000. <laughs> so... Um, they have a hunger for God's word, which I, they're, they're, they're stoking my fire every week because I love teaching and preaching God's word. And uh, Wednesday night Bible study is growing. We have people from, uh, who don't even attend our church coming to the Wednesday night Bible study, and God's word is changing their lives. I, I, I had an older man come up to me after a Bible study a few weeks ago. He's 80 years old, sharp dude, and uh, he had tears in his eyes, but I could tell he was frustrated. And I thought, oh dear, what did I say? You know, that's a pastor's nightmare sometimes, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, he said to me, I've been in church my entire life. How come I've never heard teaching like this? And so that's what's happening. They're developing a hunger for God's word, and I'm grateful to be able to serve and be their pastor. So um, thank you, Pastor Chad, for allowing me to share today. I've been thinking about this ever since I left. <laughs> and so here we are. I just, I just kind of want to take a picture for a moment. It's just, it's just so many wonderful faces, and, 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 uh, but uh, we need to get to the Word today, and that is so important. Uh, Matthew 24 is where our main text comes from today, Matthew chapter 24. I'll refer to it here in a minute, but uh, in the Old Testament, there are more than 300 references to the coming Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophets around 700 B.C. tells the Messiah would be born of a virgin, it was prophesied that he would be the son of God and that he would trace his humanity all the way back to the Old Testament patriarch, Abraham. The prophecies continued that he would come from the tribe of Judah and the house of David. The prophet Micah foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem and the psalmist wrote that he shall be called Lord. On Christmas Day, God kept his promise. The prophet Isaiah said that this same Jesus would be despised and wounded, bruised and oppressed. 
Other Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Daniel, Micah, Zechariah, and Malachi said that Christ would suffer as part of his work to save us from our sins and restore us into a relationship with God the Father. Again, Isaiah said he would be crucified with thieves and rejected by his own people. On the darkest Friday in history, on Good Friday, God kept his promise. The prophets also declare that salvation and everlasting life would be ours through Christ's resurrection as a result of his death on the cross. And last Sunday, Easter Sunday, we celebrated uh, that incredible event. God keeps his promises. In Acts chapter 1, the two men dressed in white on the Mount of Olives following the ascension of Christ back into heaven reported to those who were there that this same Jesus, this same Jesus would come back someday. Since God keeps his promises, we can be confident that the king will come again. In fact, we read all about this throughout the New Testament in the book of Revelation, the time and events leading up to his return. In case you need to be reminded, God knows and controls the future of this world This truth should stabilize us who live in a world with more questions than answers. Only an all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God can perfectly fulfill every word he speaks. In fact, when he does come back, he will not be coming as a helpless infant in a manger, nor a suffering servant on a cross, but he will come back as the king. The king is coming. I came from Dumas, Arkansas. You know this. But I believe the church today in America needs to be reminded that the king is coming back. Knowing this, the obvious question that needs to be answered is this. What difference should this make in my life now that I may be more ready for the future? The disciples, they had some questions for Jesus in Matthew 24. Sorry, I just saw some... And I, I'm, hi, Paul Rayfeld. <laughs> just, oh, there's just so many wonderful people that I, um, um, so, where was I? Okay, in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples were curious about this event. Verse three, look at the question they asked Jesus. Jesus, tell us, tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered this question not the way they wanted and not the way we would want it either. But Jesus answered uh, this question by sharing four parables and then one story known as the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapters 
24 and 25. I would encourage you to read those chapters. Some great, great information there. So often, much like the disciples, we're curious about the details and the signs of when Christ will return. That's normal. That's a part of our, of our innate uh, uh, makeup. Rather, what we really need to focus on is not just when and where so that we can put it on our calendar. It is our present obedience that is important, not when or where. We're told about the future so that we may change our behavior now in preparation for the future and its rewards. It is more important that we are ready for the king's coming instead of knowing when he is coming. So because of this, Jesus had the following dialogue with his disciples Matthew 24, beginning at verse 36, Jesus says, But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore... Oh my, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah. You know about Noah, right? I'll review here a little bit. But uh, first of all, what was it like in the days of Noah. We read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, what it was like. And there are two words that stand out to me. The two words are every and all. Every inclination was evil all the time. Every inclination was evil all the time. <laughs> Who can deny that our culture and world is not headed in the direction as it was in the days of Noah? We have to wonder at times, how could anyone think up something so evil when we turn on the news? However, we also read that as we get close to the end of time, people will be living life much like we all do right now. For example, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, during the time of Noah, they were cooking their meals. They were drawing water from their wells. They were celebrating weddings. They were taking life as it was day by day. And they were completely ignoring the warning of that preacher down the street who was building a boat. In fact, this boat was a big boat, size of a football field. 
And then to top it off, this radical preacher down the street was building this gigantic boat because, because it was going to rain? What's rain? Bible scholars believe that up until this point, it had not even rained. People weren't paying attention. They were focused on more important things. And I'm sure Noah was seen as a crazy doom and gloom preacher, much like those preachers today who talk about a rapture and the end of time. But Peter, in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter, suggests that as we approach the end of time, there will be some who will not buy in to this doctrine of the church. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. They will say, where is this coming he promised? I mean, seriously, it's possible some of you are asking that question. I've heard about this. In fact, my grandmother told me about it. It ain't happened yet. It, come on, sincere, I mean, seriously? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And, and then we find out that Noah preached this message for 120 years because it took him that long to build this huge boat. And again, I'm afraid there may be some in our culture and in the church who may question whether or not the coming of the Lord will ever happen because it hasn't happened according to our timeline. Again, Peter says in chapter 3, verse 8, but don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, as day, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. God doesn't wear a watch. He doesn't have a calendar on his desk. And he's not looking to you or I to tell him when he should come back. Eating and drinking, marrying, having children, working nine to five, enjoying grandchildren. Oh, can I show you a picture? Um, Rimley Joy is now will be four in July. She has changed our lives, and we are much closer to her now. We go up to Branson every couple of months, and 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 we go up there because she tells us what to do. Okay, so uh, oh, anyway, rather than considering Noah's message. The culture didn't do anything. Since God's judgment didn't appear on their monthly calendars or on the cable news channels or because science doesn't prove it, the people assumed it just couldn't happen. But Jesus says in our Matthew 24 passage, this is the way it will be when the king returns. Not only should we obey the command to watch but we must be prepared for the greatest trip of our lives. Some of you may relate to this story. I grew up in the uh, 70s when um, um, there was a lot of teaching and preaching and singing about uh, the second coming, the rapture, the end of time, and uh, my parents talked about it at home. 
My grandparents talked about it at Thanksgiving dinner. We're going to heaven someday. Jesus is coming back. And so maybe this happened to you. Two or three times when I was a kid, I'd come home from school. And my mom was supposed to be there. And she wasn't. And I said to myself, you, you get it, you get it. Okay, good, you were raised good, all right. And, and I said to myself, but when the rapture happens, my mom is going up. I know she is. So where is she? Did I miss it? I was in a grocery store one time as a kid, and I went to another aisle away from my mom, and I came back to the aisle where she was, and she wasn't there. And I said, who oh, no. I'm afraid that this generation may not have that experience. And so if you are a parent or a grandparent, your greatest responsibility is to make sure your kids and your grandkids are prepared for heaven. Seriously. And I hope that your kids, one of these days, will come home from school and you're supposed to be there and you're not, and the first thing they, go, they say is, oh no. Seriously, I hope they have that experience. So this is a doctrine of the church. It's called the rapture. It's called the blessed hope. We read about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as well as this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says this, in a flash... And the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The king is coming. Pack your bags. Be watchful, be prepared, and make sure your bags are packed. And I believe it's my conviction your bags should be packed with the, five, with the following five things. Here's the first thing right here. It is your, oh, that's hard to get up at tonight. Okay, okay. <laughs> your citizenship documents. In other words, you must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to have a spiritual passport. What is, what is inside a passport? Well, first of all, um, well, we have um, your name. William Lee, oh my goodness, that picture. William Lee McGinnis. I went to Albania back last July. As you know, this church had a, had a connection with Albania many years ago, and uh, I've maintained uh, that connection, and, and our church supports some of the missionaries there and the church, and so I've stayed in contact. I went to Albania, my seventh trip. And so I was a cool cat because I've done this seven times, okay? So I get to the airport and I get to, into Albania and I told them my flash, my, uh, what's that, a passport? And, uh, and I wait. And I wait again. And they look up at me. I smile. And they do this. They look up at me again. I go, and they, I stood there five minutes. I said, I've been here six times. What's the deal? There's a passport control in heaven. 
And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will have the permission to enter into heaven. If you don't have a spiritual passport, I don't care. (laughs) Well, God doesn't care who you are, if you've got good looks or no looks or a last name or, or, or your, your, I mean, your mother can't get you into heaven, your, your, your good work, I mean, you've got to have Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. The second thing, oh, I forgot an important point. Citizenship in heaven is only available to those who have made a personal commitment to the Lordship of Christ. The second thing you'll find on a passport is your birthday, October the 5th, 1951, okay. So um, you gotta have a heavenly birthday. (laughs) At some point in your life, you may not know the date, you may not even remember exactly when, or, but you've got to do what Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you have a spiritual birthday. There's a lot of belief going around. I believe in a higher power, and I believe. You know what? Belief is where it starts, but you got to confess Christ has to be your Lord. And then, you know, this is a passport from the United States of America. We all have a country uh, that we were born in, that we live in, that we're citizens of. Though we may have been born in a particular city and state on earth, those who have a spiritual birthday have a new passport because they have a new country of origin. That new country of origin is called heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, But our citizenship is where? In heaven. And we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time I go to visit my parents, at some time in the visit, my dad, who's 82, will say to me, Bill, I just can't wait. Can't wait to go to heaven. I can't wait to see Jesus' face, to see him face to face. Here's my concern. I'm afraid too many in the American church, that's the last thing on their mind. Heaven? I got things to do. I got things to accomplish. And because possibly this doctrine of the church has not become a doctrine for your soul, It just is a passing thought. And Jesus says, oh, be careful. You better be paying attention. And you better make sure that heaven is your goal and not the American dream. So we need some citizenship documents. Another thing that we need is we need to pack a Christian flag. Christian flag. Where's your allegiance to? Who's it to? The Christian flag represents our allegiance to Christ. We're really good as American Christians and 
putting compartments, dividing our life up into compartments. My career compartment, my family compartment, my social compartment, my hobby compartment, my none of your business compartment, my church compartment, my Jesus compartment. It doesn't work that way. Our full allegiance must be to Jesus Christ. Good grief. On Good Friday, he gave his life for you, was crucified, came back to life on Easter Sunday. You can give him your entire life. He is worthy of that. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, here again is my concern. If I can just get into heaven by the hair of my chinny chin chin, it doesn't work that way either. Your allegiance must be to Christ. Allegiance to Christ must involve every compartment of our lives. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, every compartment of your life, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All compartments belong to Christ. These aren't mine, by the way, okay? And, 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 and by the way, that's not my luggage either, okay? The first one they were going to give to me was pink, and I said, I don't think so. So I got this one, all right? But uh, um, the third thing we need to pack in our bags is walking shoes. Now, those aren't walking shoes, but I'll take them. They look good. <laughs> walking shoes. In other words, walk as Jesus did. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Oh, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I am on my way to heaven. Are you walking as Jesus did? Walking like Jesus is to be a way of life that boldly identifies with Christ and reflects his character. When I'm planning a foreign missions trip, one of the first things I start thinking about are my shoes. <laughs> you want to have comfortable shoes. There's nothing like you know, having poor shoes on a missions trip. I would often say, um, in, in preparing a team, don't buy a brand new pair of shoes and wear them for the first time on a missions trip, okay? Because oftentimes you walk blocks and blocks and blocks, and so you need some comfortable shoes. <sighs> However, walking like Christ is not necessarily comfortable. You ask the persecuted Christians around the world how comfortable it is to follow Christ. And then when we get a spiritual hangnail here in America, we go, oh, what am I going to do? I'm preaching this message to the pastor too, this one here. The New Testament teaches us to be like Jesus, to walk like Jesus. It means the following. 
denial, selflessness, sacrifice. It costs something every day. It's not a holiday. <laughs> we all know that already. So this is a principle that is easy to teach and preach, but more difficult to, to, to live by. And so I'm trying to teach my church that discipleship is costly and that we need to sacrifice and give things up so that we can be like Christ and hopefully influence the world. So when I presented uh, taking an offering up for Ukraine, I also emphasize the importance of prayer and fasting and, and caring for the world, caring for the Christian church in Ukraine. And I said, for the next two weeks, would you consider sacrificing something for Ukraine? Praying, I said, let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, and I know he will. And so I felt like it was important as their leader to give an example, to, to, to set the stage a little bit. And I tell you what, I am no spiritual hero, and when I mention this sacrifice, you're going to go, oh, wow, you're a big old sacrifice man, I tell you. But as I begin to think and pray about what we should do as a family, Americans, we love to go out to eat. And even in Dumas, Arkansas, where there's only five restaurants. My family hits them all in a couple of weeks, okay? And so we made a commitment as a family that for two weeks, we would not go out to eat or go to, you know, we have a Subway and a McDonald's, a Pizza a Sonic, and all that kind of thing, you know? But you'd be surprised on the way to work. You stop by, you get yourself a Diet Coke or... So TC and I have this little thing. <laughs> um, we have the Sonic app on our phone, and the Sonic is a big deal in Dumas because we like to get our ice cream and our diet cherry limeades there, you know, and we like the ice and all of that, and you're getting thirsty, okay? Um, so we got the Sonic apps on our phone, and oh, a couple nights a week, we'll be checked in for the night at about 6.37, and... TC will look at me across the room and she'll go. <laughs> so I get out my phone, go to my Sonic app, and I. So, so again, I was, so I began to add up what all that cost in two weeks, and I thought, well, that would be a decent offering for Ukraine. But we've got to give all that stuff up for two weeks. Oh. <laughs> So the first, it was, <laughs> we made the commitment. I shared it with my family. We were all in. And so the first night, Monday night, it's 6.30, and here we are. She looks across the room, and she goes. <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> um, again, wow, what a sacrifice. In the process of working through this with my church and for myself, I came across this quote in my Fire Bible study notes. It says this, Christianity that costs nothing is worth nothing. What? Seriously? 
Christianity that costs nothing. It's worth nothing. What's it costing you? A couple of Sonic ice cream sundaes. <laughs> Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and maybe, just maybe, he'll push you to a place of spiritual commitment that it may cost you something. And when it does, you'll be walking like Jesus walked. Fourthly, of course, we need God's word. I mean, that should be the first thing, actually, okay, uh, that we put in, in our bags for, uh, for heaven. Um, this is a very special Bible. This is the one Calvary gave to me on my last Sunday. They gave me a large print. I just don't understand why. But um, anyway, I use this Bible every Sunday and Wednesday night now um, uh, when I teach from um, I have other Bibles in my office that I study from, you know. Um, but um, God's Word needs to be packed in our bags. In other words, watch your life and doctrine closely. I'm so concerned that in the American church, there are many who are lacking in the knowledge of God's Word, which makes them susceptible to all kinds of errors. We must, we must saturate ourselves in God's word. Can I confess, early in my ministry, I, I made some mistakes. And I used to uh, encourage Christians to read their Bibles. And, and, and I, and I kind of would give them, give them a, a, bit, a bit of an out. Now, you know what? Read your Bible when you can. I didn't want to guilt them. I didn't, you know, if you, you, you know what? I'm past that. You need a daily dose of God's word. I'm telling you right now, you need to be saturated. There is so much mistruth out there that if you're not careful, you will accept and adopt a lie and it may keep you from eternity. If you do not know the truth, you will easily be fooled by error. So saturate yourself in God's word. Now, theologian Toby Mack <laughs> has made this statement powerful. He says, if the Bible calls it a sin, our opinion doesn't really matter. You see, in our culture today, it's all about your, your, you have that right. You have a right to have that opinion as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Your opinion is okay. If it's contrary to God's word, it is not okay. Not because I've said it, but because the Bible has said it. Toby Mack was right on. Sorry, your opinion does not matter if it goes against God's word. Settle down, Bill, okay. Some have strayed so far from the truth that they are not really New Testament believers. And you know what's worse? The Bible predicts that. And those who have been in the church their entire lives, who should know the word better than they do, they're a part of the prophecy in Scripture that says many will fall away 
because sound doctrine is not important to them anymore. Their itching ears will cause them to go in another direction. Don't. Don't. Do that. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save yourself and you will save your children and your grandchildren and those that you are teaching and those who you are leading. Well, it won't make a big difference. Yes, it does make a big difference. Okay, let's see. One, two, three, four. One more thing here. A gavel. Now that I'm a lead pastor, I get one of these. Because when you conduct business meetings, you're the boss. Okay? <laughs> gavel, which represents be in awe of the judge of the earth. Be in awe. I'm sure you've heard statements referring to God as the man upstairs, a buddy, a higher power, the great cosmic force. These statements show that many do not understand the nature of God, his love, his grace, his wisdom, and his sovereignty. Some consider God as a, as a nice grandfather that would never judge anyone. His job is to pull us out of our messes because of our sinfulness they trivialize God's justice and abhorrence of sin. Oh, it's okay. Others view God as someone that is out there somewhere and he'll do his thing, I'll do my thing, and life will be just fine. They do not realize that God is personable. He's active. He's available. He's our Heavenly Father. And the Bible teaches that we can have a close relationship with God the Judge. God is a God who not only deserves our respect, but he demands it. Bottom line, the judge of the earth someday will do what is right. A fair judge, a good judge, a just judge. And someday he will do what is right. And ladies and gentlemen, American Christians, we need to live our lives every day with that in mind. God is my father, but he's also my judge. And he ain't gonna mess with how I think I should live or how I think I should believe or if my opinion really matters or not. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of this appearing and his kingdom. So this Olivet Discourse that Jesus taught the disciples in Matthews 24 and 25 can really be summed up in two words. The two words are watch and prepare. So again, church, I've come to remind you today, I, I'm not exaggerating. I think on a daily basis, and, I, and, I, and I've questioned myself, well, Bill, is it because you turned 16, you're getting old now, you gotta, you gotta think about heaven more? You know what, no, no. I think 
on a daily basis, heaven should be a part of our thinking. He says it. Be watchful. I'm coming. And then secondly, to sum it up, those two chapters, be prepared. Pack your bags. Pack your bags. Dr. David Jeremiah, a great teacher, pastor. I've used many of his resources in my Bible studies. He has said that as far as he can tell in his studies and research and so forth, that all of the signs of Christ's coming, uh, we're about there. I mean, we're there. There are no more signs to be fulfilled. Now, now whether it's, it's, it's 50 more years, 50 more weeks, 50 more hours, or 50 minutes, the king is coming. The king is coming. And we are to watch and look forward to his return and make sure we are prepared with our bags packed, ready to go with the king, when the king returns. So again, we got to make sure Christ is Lord of our lives, that we have a spiritual birthday and we've confessed him as our Lord and as our Savior. Secondly, our allegiance is to Christ and only to Christ. Every bit of our lives belong to him. Even the parts that no one knows about. Every compartment. We need to walk as Jesus walked, denying ourselves. Somewhere, I think Jesus says, take up his cross. Oh, yeah. That's for other people, like in other parts of the, of the world, not America. Take up his cross and follow him. These shoes are really heavy. Okay. Fourthly, I hear, I hear, whatever you got to do to get yourself saturated in his word, you better make up your mind. Make sure you know the nook and cranny of every aspect of, of God's word, his principles, his truth. When someone speaks error to you, you should go, oh, hey, I know that's error, and that's not truth. And then live your life with respect and awe and even fear of the judge of the earth. Sorry, I feel like... <laughs> Of the, of the judge of the earth who will someday do what is right. Would you stand with me, please? And so as we close today, one more reminder, church. Someday. Someday the marketplace will be empty. Someday there'll be more, no more traffic in the streets. All the builders' tools will be silent and there'll be no more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives will cease their labors and in the courtroom, there will be no more debate. Work on this earth will all be suspended as the king comes through the gate. Ladies and gentlemen, the king is coming. The king is coming. Someday I will hear the trumpet sounding and someday my dad and all of us will see him 
face to face. The king is coming. The king is coming. Thank God he's coming. And he's coming for me. And he's coming for you. Be ready. Be watchful in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. Our hope is only in you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Oh, God, help us to live watchful. And may our bags be packed, Lord. Continue to grow your church here at Calvary. And may we be ready, Lord, for the greatest trip of our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen.